Richard Bird was an aviator and explorer who was credited for being the first person to reach both the North and the South Poles. In his 1930 expedition to the South Pole, he ended up wintering six months in a small wooden hut. There he struggled with day after day, week after week of darkness. And he wrote in his diary, I crave light as a thirsty man craves water. For in the Antarctic winter, the sun does not rise above the horizon for months on end. He continued in his diary, A mournful gloom hangs in the twilight. This is the period between life and death. This is the way the world will look to the last man when our world dies. Now, just three weeks before the sun was due to return, he wrote, I tried to imagine what it would be like for the sun to reappear, but the concept was too vast for me to grasp. In his darkness, he had almost forgotten what it was like to see the light. And here we have a helpful insight as the thirsty crave for water, so those trapped in darkness crave light. And what is true in the natural is also true in the spiritual, isn't it? Those in spiritual darkness crave spiritual life. And so that's wonderful when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. However, with this craving for spiritual light comes something most unusual to the human condition, and it's this. Some folk who thirst for the light when they come into the light turn their back on the light. They reject the light. No one's heard of the desperately thirsty refusing a cool drink of water, yet that's what it is for many people in the spiritual. It's like a miner who's trapped in the mine for months and finally is released and comes out into the light and then says, actually, I prefer the darkness, and then turns back and walks into the mine. I mean, that never happens, does it? But it does happen in the spiritual Some people, when exposed to the light, wished they'd never seen the light, preferring the darkness instead. And we see this in John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. And this is what we're going to see played out this morning. We're going to see some rejoice in the light and some reject the light. And so we come to John chapter 9 and just orientate ourselves into the text. This is the sixth of the seven signs in John's gospel. And it's the man who was born blind, now healed. Now we covered the healing. What I want to do now is cover in between when the man was healed and when he met Jesus the second time. Because in between there, that man goes through a very difficult time. The man who was blind but now healed was interrogated, verbally abused, and thrown out by people who should have known better. So let's see how this plays out from John chapter 9, verse 8. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. 
Where is this man, they asked him. I do not know, he replied. And here we have the first of three interrogations. There's interrogation between the neighbours and the blind man, and then soon we'll come to the Pharisees interrogating the blind man, and then we'll see the Pharisees interrogating the blind man's parents. Now, out of the three interrogations, this is the more friendly. It's the less aggressive. The man's neighbours and friends are used to seeing him begging in the street. And here he is in full sight. And some are confused that they just can't get their head wrapped around it. Some believe it's not the same man, that it's someone who looks like him. But the man simply and clearly explained what happened. However, there's a complication. And the complication means that he is taken to the Pharisees. And we pick this up in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and I now see. So here we come with the second interrogation. And the Pharisee are not happy. You see, any form of work is strictly prohibited on the Sabbath. And in their mind, healing is work. And so there's a problem. So the Pharisees drill down and ask what happened and when it happened. And after they've interrogated the blind man for this first time, they start making judgments. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. And so... Some of the Pharisees believe that Jesus cannot possibly be from God because he's broken the Sabbath in their mind. But not everyone. They're not unified on this. The rest of verse 16 says, But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? And so they were divided. What we're seeing here is a debate among the religious leaders. Their dilemma was this. On the one hand, healing on the Sabbath must be a sin because it's work. That's their logic. Faulty logic, but it's their logic. On the other hand, no one had ever heard of a man born blind, so this person must be from God. And this is the debate that they're having. So the interrogation continues, verse 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. This is exactly what the Pharisees were debating. Was Jesus a sinner, or was he a prophet, or was he someone greater? However, when the man puts it in words like that, the Pharisees find it unpalatable. It's too much for them. They refuse to accept Jesus as a prophet, and so they begin a third interrogation. They call in the man's parents. Verse 19. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now you can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Now John's given us a bit of background to why they're so reluctant. It's because the Pharisees had already said that if anyone says Jesus is the Messiah, they will be thrown out of the synagogue. And so the parents are a little bit nervous and they're very reserved. So they say the minimum that they can. This was our son. We can confirm he was born blind. He is of age. Ask him what happened. 
which meant that they would escape the anger and the punishment of the Pharisees. So for a second time, they summon the man. Verse 24. Give glory to God by telling the truth, the Pharisees said. We know this man is a sinner. So they're now starting to get more aggressive in their interrogation. Notice the bravery of the man now healed. Despite the threat of being thrown out, he declares in verse 25 these words. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Despite overwhelming pressure to condemn Jesus, the man clings to what he knows. I was blind, but now I see. And this angers the religious leaders no end. You can feel their frustration mount in verse 26. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? The response from the man continues to annoy the Pharisees, but only because he's answering simply and truthfully. Verse 27, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Wow, like a red rag to a bull. And the Pharisees, well, they snap. And the man gets it in the neck. Verse 28. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. It's your classic response in an argument. You know, when you're using an, losing an argument, what do you do? You raise your voice and you insult. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're losing this argument, so they raise their voice and they hurl insults. Notice the calm and reasoned and brave reply of the man born blind. Verse 30. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. This man were not from God. He could do nothing. You see, this man did not know who Jesus was. But he reasoned that because he was blind but could now see, Jesus could not have been a sinner. He must be from God. And though this is sound logic and excellent theology, the Pharisees will have none of it. They snap. Verse 34. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. You were steeped in sin at birth. It's another way of saying you were illegitimate child. Now what's the expression that we use for an illegitimate child? We call someone a bastard, don't you? So that's what the Pharisees are calling him, an illegitimate child. They're calling him a bastard, and they are throwing him out. It's pretty severe, isn't it? And in those days, like in, not that it's going to happen, but if we were to throw someone out of this church, it's not going to happen, but you, someone would just go down to the church down the road, wouldn't they, potentially? Well, you couldn't do that in Israel in those days. When you were thrown out of the synagogue, that means all of the synagogues would throw you out. 
and the synagogue was the community centre and the hub of the towns and the villages. So being thrown out of the synagogue was way more serious than it is in today's culture. This was a, a big deal. And so they insulted him, verbally abused him, and cast him out. Now when Jesus hears of this drama, he seeks the man out. And then we have this lovely exchange that we heard earlier, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found them, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. You see, all this arguing with the Pharisees had helped confirm to that man that Jesus was someone special, so special he must be divine, so special that he must be the Son of Man, so special so that the man worshipped Jesus. As do we. Wonderful example this man gives us in all sorts of ways, including believing and worshipping. Now before we get to some take-homes, there's an implication I want to look at, and then we'll look at some practical take-homes for this message. First of all, the implications. It's interesting that both the man and the Pharisees were confronted with the same miracle but had very different responses. Isn't that interesting? You would think that if Jesus miraculously healed someone born blind, that everybody would think Jesus is pretty wonderful and come to believe. But that's not what happened at all. There were two very different responses. Let's take the man born blind. He started not knowing who Jesus was. And then upon questioning, he progressed to saying, well, he must be a prophet before finally worshipping Jesus as the Son of Man. Can you see the progression? Not knowing Jesus, he's someone special, he's someone I worship. There's a clear movement from no faith to saving faith. And it's the same pattern that we look for today, don't we? we people who don't know Jesus, we tell them about Jesus or they learn about Jesus and they think, well, he's someone special. But that's not the final step. The final step is then moving from Jesus as someone special to I worship him, I believe in him. So where are you on that spectrum? Are you someone who doesn't know Jesus? Are you someone who thinks he's pretty special? Or are you someone who thinks he's so special, he's divine? and I believe, and I worship. Where are you on that spectrum? Wherever you are, I pray that today you will be nudged closer to that end that means believing and worshipping. We contrast that, though, with the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they'd done their research. They'd interviewed the eyewitnesses. They'd interviewed the parents. They'd interviewed the man born blind. There was compelling evidence to say that this miracle happened. No one, not even the Pharisees, doubted the miracle happened. But in face of it, they turned their back. And there's a sense where they were at a crossroads. Some of them believed he was a sinner. Some of them were not so sure. They thought he was from God. So they started off not being sure. But as the conversation with the blind man continued, they ended up deciding he was definitely a sinner. They were at the crossroads of not being sure, and unlike the blind man who went to believe in Jesus, they turned their back on Jesus. And sadly, some people do that today. They don't know Jesus, they hear about Jesus, and they turn their back on Jesus. 
Same Jesus, same miraculous sign, very different outcomes. It's an encouragement to us as we share our faith in that the outcome is not responsible for us. God determines where the hearts go. Our response is to tell people about Jesus. Anyway, that's the implication. So what are a couple of take-homes that we can think about and ponder as we leave today? Well, one's an encouragement, and the second is a challenge. First, the encouragement. Now, many of us are hesitant to share our faith. Why are we hesitant to tell someone else about Jesus? Well, first of all, we don't think we've got the right words. And secondly, we fear that we may be mocked or abused or ridiculed. Two things. I haven't got the right words. How can I start telling someone about Jesus? What if they ask me difficult questions and laugh at me? And, and those are two legitimate feelings. I have those feelings too at times when I think about speaking to others about Jesus. But in all this, the blind man is our example. Because he didn't have the words, did he? I mean, he was a brand new well, Christian. He was absolutely new in the faith. Faith. He didn't even know who Jesus was. So he didn't have the right words. He was also abused, insulted, and thrown out. And so here's our example for us. Because he said, I was blind, but now I see. And do you know... We can use that word for word when we come to share about Jesus. I was blind, but now I see. For though the Pharisees had years of academic training in theology, and they had all of the clever questions, and they had the power to make life very difficult for this man, they had no answer to his simple declaration. He said, I was blind, but now I see. No clever words. No clever arguments, no mocking words can ever take away from our testimony. So if you're sharing your faith, you may come across unusual, but you may come across someone who has all the clever arguments against our faith. Or you may share your faith and be mocked and ridiculed. However, I was blind and now I see is the foundation for every Christian when they share their faith whether it goes well or whether you meet resistance. So when we share our faith, we share what Jesus has done. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost and aimless, but now I have direction in my life. I once was overwhelmed with grief, but now I've worked through that and come to a sense of peace. You might say something like, I was trapped in addiction, but then I met Jesus and now I am set free. You see the pattern? What I was like before I met Jesus, what I was like after. And even as a Christian, there are times when we face illness or difficulty, and we say, before Christ came and made a difference, I was like this, now I am like that. So your homework this week, I'll be checking, your homework this week is to sit down with pen and paper and write out in 300 words or so, 300 words, what it was like before Jesus showed up, and then what it was like after. And it can take many forms, conversion, healing, spiritual breakthrough. It might be something like, I used to really suffer with depression. And some days it was so bad, I couldn't even get out of bed in the morning. And then Jesus came into my life. And now I, I still struggle with depression at times, but it's so much better. That's 
No matter what theological argument or what mocking you will get, if you have that testimony, that is powerful and irrefutable. It may be, well, I used to be well off. I had a flash house, three cars in the garage, financial portfolio to die for, and then through a series of financial reversals, I became bankrupt. And then a friend took me to Alpha, and I met Jesus, and now I am rebuilding my life. I had thought about suicide, I had thought about ending it, but not now, because Jesus is in my life. Now we've all got something like that, maybe not as dramatic as depression or the bankruptcy, but we've got something, either a conversion or a healing or a relationship that was going sour that God sorted out. So my challenge is for you just to think of that opportunity, put it down in 300 words, and then pray for the courage and the opportunity to share it. Because I once was blind, but now I see. And that's all you need to share Jesus. Because you'll be sharing it from a personal heart relation that no clever argument or mocking can refute. So a challenge. And finally, a story to finish. A story to finish. Let me tell you about Rose Crufford. Now Rose became blind at the age of four years old. She got measles twice in a very short period of time and she lost her sight. However, 50 years later, she had an operation and her sight was fully restored. Imagine seeing flowers for the first time. And so we see that photo up there. And so the nurse has brought the flowers to her. She's in hospital. Her sight has just regained. And she's feeling and looking at those flowers. Imagine seeing a, a newborn baby, an infant, for the first time. And so you see the same nurse must have whipped into the newborn unit and flogged the baby, I'm sure with the mother's permission. And she is seeing a baby and kissing that baby's hand for the first time. Imagine that. She said, I knew my husband was tall, but when I saw him, he was a giant. And so, you know, Rose and her family rejoiced at this medical marvel, but with a tinge of sadness because they found out that this medical treatment had been available for the last 20 years. Both her and her doctor just didn't know it was there. She could have had her sight regained 20 years ago when she was in her early 30s instead of her early 50s. Imagine the difference that would have made. You know, as a mum and as a wife and, and just the whole family and, and a career and all that sort of stuff. Amazing. Now, you know it's similar with you and I. How sad it is for people who are spiritually blind to remain in darkness when Christ is standing at the door of their hearts saying, I am the light of the world. Let me in and I will heal you of your blindness. Jesus is standing at the door of each of our hearts this morning. If you hear his voice, let him in. He will come in, open the eyes of your heart, and the blindness, that veil will fall away and you will be overwhelmed with the beauty of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm in awe of that man born blind. He is my hero when it comes to sharing his faith and standing for you. Despite the, the authorities, despite the power imbalance, despite his vulnerability, he stood his ground and said, I was blind, but now I see. 
Help us, Lord, to be the same. Help us to share our faith and to say, I was blind, but now I see. And help us never to take it for granted. May we continue to worship you with all our hearts until you come again, Lord Jesus, to take us with you to be in your presence forever. Pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Mm -hmm.